Hi, and welcome to this week's HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host, Annabelle Collins, and this week I'm joined by Deputy Editor Dave West and correspondents Jack Searle and Jasmine Rapson. It will come as no surprise to listeners that the podcast this week is focusing on the biggest news at the moment, confirmation that the UK is the first country to approve the Pfizer vaccine, paving the way for arguably the biggest vaccination programme of our lifetime. At this stage of the rollout, there are inevitably more questions and answers, but I'm hoping the team today will be able to give it their best shot. Certainly no pun intended there. Um, This is one of those stories that every journalist in the world um, is seemingly chasing and is changing rapidly, but we'll do our best to give you the most up-to-date information and how this will impact um, the health service. So we've had a breaking story this morning around um, some changes around who could be first in line for the vaccination. Originally, we were under the impression it would be NHS staff, um, but now it's looking like they might have to wait. Um, Jasmine, um, what's the latest on this in terms of who will be prioritised and how does it differ from what we first thought? Yeah, so there's been a lot of change in just the kind of past 24 hours. Um, Like you said, just yesterday, we were under the impression that NHS staff would be uh, the first people to get the vaccine, particularly those who are at risk or perhaps living with people who are at risk. Uh, Whereas this morning, we published a story to say that actually staff will not be top of the priority list. We've now gone back to previous plans of prioritising over 80s who are either in hospital or using hospital services so they can be directed straight to the vaccination hubs when they're at hospital. Uh, Care home staff um, are also um, very high priority and then any kind of um, after that it will be NHS staff. Obviously things are changing very rapidly um, and it may well be in some areas where there are for example not as many people over age 80 using the hospital services or care home staff any leftover will then go to um, NHS staff Uh, but there is a big chance that uh, staff won't necessarily or a lot of NHS staff won't necessarily get the vaccine until after Christmas Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes down um, among trusts and it also and how it will affect the local vaccination program in terms of the hospital hubs and how they were kind of initially planning their services around vaccinating their staff members as well. Do you think we could just sort of unpick what what is meant by hospital hubs and I suppose also around the logistics of um, vaccinating care home staff? I mean, where would they be called to a hospital hub? Um, And also, I suppose with over 80s, is is over 80s already in a hospital setting? Yes, that's my understanding of it. Uh, The hubs, I mean, the reason that we're starting, I say we, the NHS is starting the vaccination programme. Yes, not HSJ. Not <laughs> no, thank goodness. Um, is because of the, the logistical problems with transporting um, and storing the Pfizer vaccine. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people know that it has to be transported, I believe, in uh, really, really cold temperatures. Minus 75. Minus yeah. 75, um, which is, is very cold, <laughs> if anyone um, mm. wasn't sure of that. Um, and so... As a result, you know, these hubs will kind of have the storage facilities to store the vaccine effectively. And it's just the most logical way of giving the vaccine out at the moment. So care home staff um, are well positioned to go to these hubs and get the vaccine in the hubs as well. Um, originally, or initial plans were that I think primary care were going to take the lead with giving out the vaccine. Um, but obviously it would be very difficult. They just wouldn't 
practices wouldn't have the storage facilities to store the Pfizer vaccine. So it was kind of then um, the hubs were given the, were told that they should take the lead on the initial phases of the vaccine programme. Mm. So what what does this mean for um, care home residents? Because when looking at the prioritisation table, they're very, very high up. Um, how are they going to have to wait for the Oxford vaccine or what's what's going to happen there? Well, yesterday uh, the government was saying that, of course, care home residents would be very high priority. However, um, this is a big however, it looks like it will be very difficult to get them the vaccine, particularly uh, the Pfizer vaccine because of these uh, logistical problems and the problems with storing it. So they will have to um, wait either if they, you know, pin down a way to get the vaccine to care homes um, or for a version of the vaccine that doesn't need to be stored at ridiculously cold temperatures. So it's looking like they're not going to get it as quickly as kind of we would have hoped or that was kind of first suggested. Uh, yeah, this, this is the... Um been the focus in recent days is 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 being driven by this quickly changing um decisions um about about the arrival of the pfizer biontech vaccine hasn't it kind of a, a, caused by the the kind of excitement and the um you know and logistical reality that it's going to get it's going to hit the uk first has been as has been kind of increasingly expected over recent days then confirmed yesterday on wednesday um i think I was just going to talk a little bit about, you know, what that's done to the the NHS is sort of um, the way the NHS is approaching this. And of course, for the NHS, as we said on the on the podcast the other day, this is kind of a huge deal. Um, it's, uh, you know, as uh, I think Simon Stevens didn't call it the biggest vaccination campaign ever, but the largest scale vaccination campaign ever, which is sort of the official way of saying biggest, I guess. Um, and um, the, you know, various eminent people have said this is, this is could be brilliant as long as the NHS doesn't screw up the delivery, basically. So this is, a, it's really important for the NHS to get this right. And, um, and also it's sort of it is although it's you know there's real high pressure it's quite nice isn't it a lot of people i've spoken to in the last couple of weeks have said well, actually we're quite kind of excited about this because we can you know the nhs can play this really big role in um in hopefully bringing you know if, if it does go to plan in bringing the the country out of this terrible um you know crisis that will have gone on for a, a year by that point um and uh you know if 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 it can um be all over by the spring as is hoped um and and the nhs and particularly you know primary care like we might talk a bit a bit later about the different people who will be involved but particularly primary care could actually have a have a really kind of crucial role in getting the country and the economy and and the health service um back on track um mm -hmm. however <laughs> in recent days um it's also i think people's view of it in 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 terms of nhs senior people in the nhs's view of it is becoming coloured by this rapid chopping and changing um, of what's expected and guidance. And of course, nobody likes it yeah. if their, their, you know, their bosses or their putative bosses keep changing the plan every two minutes. Um, and um, and they are doing so in, you know, what we've been told is a very directive way. Um, you know, someone, um, hospital chief exec earlier who's involved said, you know, that this is of all throughout the entire COVID um, period of which, you know, we know that, that the centre has been very directive at some points uh, over stuff like communications. They said this this is the thing that, that the NHS England is being most um, 
directive and most protective about probably because of all that pressure there and they're really really keen to man try and manage expectations even though expectations are inevitably going to go through the roof and and there's such high interest that you can't really keep um, media and public interest away from this um, but other people you know another um, chief execs saying here I've never experienced something quite so chaotic or fluid that's for sure and you know all of us um, here and listening will know that a lot of things in the NHS management are very chaotic and very fluid so uh, you know that's quite quite extreme but the so there's that sort of uh, flavour in the recent days of, of chopping back and forth about what these what these um, hospital hubs in particular are expected to deliver and um, in um, uh, uh, and the other thing I just wanted to say as part of this question about um, about prioritisation is that there's a huge all this means there's a huge focus on the first um, uh, on the first this Pfizer BioNTech and the first few days and first couple of weeks of vaccine delivery. And that might be kind of turn out, of course, completely understandable because we're all really excited and people want to get the, the people want to start the vaccination campaign but there's a very big focus on what is actually going to be a very small overall proportion of the people getting vaccinated um on um you know uh, jasmine's big exclusive the other day about um uh jasmine's big exclusive the other day was uh, you know talking about the likely rollout overall rollout schedule for vaccines um for the vaccine and that would see the vast vast majority of the um of, of it given in the new year in mostly i think sort of maybe late january and then february and march when the expectation and hope is that much more vaccine will come to the country over in december you know we're talking about relatively small numbers of people whatever happens could be quite crucial because they're the most at risk and and things but th there is a there's a slight um danger of a massive focus on that early part of the campaign whereas it's actually going to be sort of won or lost in january february march based on stuff like you know whether the workforce can be um whether the overall system is working well you know primary care is working well and um, technology that we might come on to talk about um mm. wh whether they can get the workforce to do the volume that they want to do and that sort of stuff yeah i just wanted to oh Sorry, Jack. Um, sorry, Dave, I just wanted to pick up on something you said around um, what people have been saying about kind of the, the centre's control over this. Um, do you think there's kind of a feeling of um, kind of, I don't know, I suppose maybe fear is too strong, but just nervousness around what happened around, I suppose, test and trace and, and PPE, because both of those things have been raised to me um, just this morning actually um, someone was saying they're frustrated that they weren't being given uh, more control because they, they they really felt like they could in their region um, does that echo anything that you've been hearing as well sort of yes I mean it, it, it clearly there's quite a lot of saying you know, there's a lot of sort of central um, calls being held and central sort of do this don't do don't do that and trying to manage it closely uh i mean on the other hand there is a i think again once things settle down in the new year probably there will be more um there may it is very possible that there, a lot more will be left for example to primary care and and, and kind of there'll be more local flexibility it's it, it could be um that um you know for example the nhs could have gone down the route and i think it looked like for a minute that they might cut out primary care a lot more than they so far have because at the minute i think we'd expect primary care to be doing at least a third of the jabs and that's quite a yeah, inevitably local private dispersed you know they can't can direct it even if they wanted to well obviously, obviously would like to but they can't um and um 
so so that it could become quite a, a localized process at the minute it's very very centralized um at, uh, uh, which is obviously frustrates people especially when the central people don't know yet what's going to happen and have to keep changing their mind every few minutes the comparison with test and trace and ppe yeah clearly this is bringing back for, for people memories of all the directive stuff and the the initial um tier one incident when people were being ordered around and ppe being mucked up as a national logistic logistic process and test and trace being mucked up as a national national um uh kind of logistics process um uh, I, I think the main thing that NHS England is is the, the main comparison with those two is is about you know how this gets perceived because it's one of the big national programs and test and trace and PPE were managed by the Department of Health. This one is being managed by NHS England in terms of delivery, and I think they're really really worried about doing what test and trace did by getting hung on. Um, um, getting hung on targets that are not achievable test and trace you know kept setting these deadlines for itself or rather politicians kept setting targets for test and trace and they skewed you know they they, they really skewed out what people had to do and made it um you know made things much harder and just ended up in constant disappointment rather than saying um rather than the government or test and trace coming out and saying well there is going to be a cer only a certain amount of testing we can do because there's only a certain amount of machines and there's only a certain amount of the stuff that you have to put in the machines so until we can we can get that like there is going to be a limit and there's only a certain amount of staff and a certain amount of labs you know instead of managing expectations like that um you know whereas yesterday we saw um Simon Stevens at the press conference, the uh, NHS chief executive, and the prime minister managing expectations, I think, quite heavily and saying, actually, December, the vast majority of this is going to be next year. Don't expect it to be all over really quickly. We're dependent on supply. And there might be some really big, important worries about supply because um, you know we're not as not getting loads in December and we don't you know at this minute we don't really know a lot about the supply chain but there are various concerns about the Oxford vaccine and what exactly it can do or can't do um, and so there's there could be doubts about that so I think you know in a way that's a victory for the for the NHS that it seems to have persuaded or for NHS England at least it seems to have persuaded the site the Prime Minister to go heavily into this expectation management um, yesterday rather than saying it's going to be all over by spring. Jack, did you want to come in there? Yeah, I'm actually picking up on two things that, that, that Dave said. First, just um, uh, on the expectation management, I thought Jonathan Van Tam speaking at the same press conference was very interesting when discussing the, the sort of the um, uh, the vaccine isn't necessarily the um, the golden fleece that's going to stop transmission, but it's going to be a very important component in our fight against COVID, along with sort of hand washing and all the other things that we're doing at the moment. Um, but also just in terms of the duration of this program, it does feel like despite um, efforts to manage expectation, everyone's running like the clappers at the moment. And we're actually going to have several months next year of, of this program going ongoing. You know, there's a contract released um, uh, for the GP component last week, which is um, scheduled to end at the end of August. It starts on the 8th of December and it runs to the end of August, which gives you an idea of, unless it's terminated before then because they've completed the vaccine. Um, rollout um, ahead of time, but gives you a, a sense, I think, of, of the duration that we're looking at. And actually, a few weeks in December, when we'll only have a few hundred thousand doses um, uh, uh, available, whilst extremely exciting and very, very important, um, is uh, the tip of the proverbial iceberg. No, thanks, Jack. I think also um, something I've just thought of um, 
around communication um, and and how this is being communicated. And I think um, in recent years, obviously, I think we have to acknowledge it's been um, perhaps the anti-vax sort of um, movement has been more vocal. And I think um, there are some people with maybe concerns about the vaccine, the fact it's been rushed through uh, might sort of make this worse. And um, I imagine that the government um, needs to be really hot on their communication in terms of encouraging people to get it, particularly those who um, you know will be particularly vulnerable if they if they if they catch the virus. Um, Jack, I wonder if you have any thoughts on, on kind of the importance of that and how perhaps they should approach this. I, well, nature abhors a vacuum, um, and for um, all the absence of um, clear and effective communication from uh, from the experts and from um, uh, people with. Uh, uh good intentions uh there will be um uh, malign voices that fill that space so it's crucial that that communication campaign gets rolled out as quickly as possible um i think point made to me back in the summer by a gp who works on um, inequalities quite a lot on um, health inequalities this is around the general covid campaign was that the people that these uh communications efforts need to reach are the people who Watching the 5 p.m. press briefings, people who aren't watching the MHRA JCVI press conferences from Downing Street. You know, I thought that both the the morning press conference yesterday and the uh, the 5 p.m. presser with the the Prime Minister were um, certainly the morning one was reassuringly boring. Like it was it was it was some quite um, uh, staid Tweedy academics giving um, very measured and uh, uh, considered opinions about the decision that had been reached, which is a very, very important start. But in order to ensure that that message reaches as many people as possible, and as you say, in um, reaches uh, uh, parts of society and communities that may not necessarily be reading The Times or may not be reading HSJ or, or listening to our podcast or um, what have you, um, is, is key. And I think it, mm. a, a very concerning component was um, back in October, we had uh, the NHFX lead on inequality speaking at one of our summits, Shabira Pepain, and I thought um, uh, disquietingly, she was talking about some user experience research that she and her colleagues have been doing with people in um, from BAME communities in northeast of London and the West Midlands, um, really trying to drive into the degree to which um, those people who do not feature normally in their market research, they view the NHS, they view the, view the NHS app, they view the government and the response to COVID. And they found that it, the diametric opposite to what they normally get from their market research. Normally the NHS is held in high esteem and well trusted and government communications are seen as um, something valuable and, and people would adhere to isolation and be happy to have their details shared with the government and contact tracing and so forth. The exact opposite in these communities, those very people that we have to reach most importantly. Um, had they found a massive deficit in trust, people were not going to be willing to engage with test and trace and with the government in different ways um, uh, for all sorts of different reasons. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a massive bad piece of um, and we've got to hope that uh, lessons have been learned from uh, the uh, government communications efforts to date, which um, I don't think have been wholly effective. No, absolutely. And I think just on um, the role of, um, I don't know, I was talking to somebody this morning who said it's going to be up to individuals sometimes to persuade people and sort of the role, I suppose, of the GP is really important. Um, they, they told me yesterday they had two conversations with people already who they had to persuade 
um, that they should they should take the vaccine. And I think, yeah, it can I think it can really depend on perhaps the relationship you have with your, you know, with your GP or your pharmacist or um, you know, whoever you see kind of for, for kind of health reasons. Um that might be quite a nice um segue actually into the role of, of primary care in all this. Um and Jasmine, you cover primary care for HSJ. I'm just wondering how because obviously the GP um I think we've mentioned before is is kind of in a sort of traditional place you might you might go for your vaccination your flu vac whatever it is um so how will what role will they play in the delivery of this massive ma um, vaccination program well ever since the change with the change of original plans so now kind of um passing the baton to the hubs instead of uh, primary care to start this program it's not 100 percent clear exactly what's going to go ahead in primary care and there are very differing opinions among gps over the way that they would like it to be controlled and what the best foot forward is and um, obviously there is some anxiety um, among gps because uh, they're already very overworked and overstretched um, and it's how they're going to handle the delivery of the vaccine on top of everything else that they're doing um i spoke to a doctor last week um who was basically saying um so sorry going back um to the beginning of the week um there are some concerns over how the tech is going to use there's a national booking and recall system that's being produced by nhs england for the mass vaccination centers that's not going to be uh, officially launched until january january and so gps and practices have essentially been told they need to handle that locally the booking and recall elements so calling people in for their vaccines and then calling them in for their second dose um and in some cases some doctors and practices are really quite happy with this because they have the control they say that mistakes have previously been made by nhs england um in terms of when they were um when they basically told people they needed to self-isolate who didn't self-isolate um, and so they're quite happy to for this to be within their control because you know they can handle it much better whereas there are other GPs who are saying that they need more support the more tech more resources because they just don't have the time um, and the staff to do it um, one doctor said they were calling in volunteers um, kind of retired GPs who were happy to help with the admin side of things um, but obviously not everyone is going to have access to volunteers or retired GPs who are happy to help um, so I think at the moment it's definitely one to watch um, it'll be interesting to see how the kind of technical side of it works because um, you know we're not even sure that the mass uh, the national system is going to interface properly with the local system and that could you know cause a whole um, host of other issues but on the other hand um, it may go absolutely swimmingly well and um, it, you know kind of runs without any problems but mm -hmm. um, it's a case of kind of you know waiting and seeing we don't have all the answers to that one yet I'm afraid. Nice to keep tabs on. Um, yeah, absolutely. And oh, Dave, sorry. Yeah. Well, just I thought it raises one of the um, uh, issues and debates in this is this vaccination delivery gets um, becomes a reality. And as it gets planned, is this the balance between the different modes and models of how it's given to um, to the population? Because there, I think there's been a, a, a running and changing story there as well. Of early on in the discussion, there was an idea, um, and perhaps it's the sort of thing that normally comes from central government cabinet office or generally from the centre of, can't we commission some really big 
providers to do this and you know again that it will for some people it would echo with what happened with test and trace like let's get in some bright minds and some big retail kind of uh, you know big business kind of thinkers to to coordinate a mass scheme and set up big centers and do it all there and that sort of thing whereas um and and i think initially there was some probably a wariness in primary care about their role um so um so that kind of made sense oh well if you know gps aren't going to do it then we'll have to come up with someone else to do it and commission them you know essentially give out some big contracts to do that and you know annabelle we had some conversations a few weeks ago about community pharmacy or you know community pharmacy firms playing a, mm-hmm. a much bigger role than they now appear to be set to do so general practice then over the last you know month or so has kind of come much more central again whether that was because of uh, an NHS made argument that actually, look, gen- this is what general practice is good at. That's what it's for. This is the safest and most sensible way of doing it because they do as they, um, you know, as general practice people in primary care often make the point. We do millions and millions of vaccines. We do however many tens of millions of flu vaccines each year. Actually, this is it is complicated and difficult, but it's not that complicated and difficult considering we do all this all the time. Um, and so we've been trusted more with it. And there's a financial side of it. So the government's agreed to pay them uh, general practice twelve pounds per dose, and twenty four pounds about per person. Well, you know that's um, it appears that general practice thinks that will be uh, uh, cover the costs and be a profitable way of doing things. So actually, now they're pretty keen to to do as much as they can, and to you know for general practice to show that they're a big part of this kind of huge important task for the for the um for the nation they're not a sort of uh you know outmoded uh health system that just um irritates everyone all the time um the um, sorry for any gps listening for that oh that was a hypothetical that was obviously uh just a view that is held by some highly misguided <laughs> people in um exactly. off whitehall um the um i'm um but anyway, so now, but it's still up for grabs, isn't it? Because the plan suggests that primary care will do about a third or just over a third. Mass vaccination centres in um, set up about one in each SDP will do a, maybe a similar amount, slightly lesser amount, according to the modelling or plan. Then you've got... Um, then you've got hospital hubs um you've got a sort of roving model so owned by primary care but people going into care homes or to people who can't leave their home and prisons and so on doing a small ish chunk and um community pharmacy apparently having a role but what seems Mm. now is like a pretty limited one Mm. and uh, and then finally, these hospital hubs, we're doing, you know, NHS staff. So that would be at least a million, well, around a million, um, but could be. Um, but now there's been much more of a focus on the hospital hubs and actually they're getting a bit of momentum. And um, uh, because they've now got to start vaccinating everybody who's coming in for or over 80s who are coming in for outpatient appointments and care home staff. And so there's a possibility that that will pick up momentum and they'll be expected to do more. Um but there's also a possibility that actually in the new year people will say well if we if the oxford vaccine comes through then a lot more of this will just get left to primary care if they uh, start start showing success and we don't actually need 50 or so um mass vaccination centers but there's mm. there's kind of a lot of debates and things going on there and there's kind of reputations and finances all involved so there are there are conflicts and interests in there and they might be dialed down a bit yeah as, as things pan out um and there's something something i'm quite i just wanted to mention probably um you know role as workforce correspondent but the workforce in terms of delivering the vaccine um is quite interesting and um, 
and I'm kind of hearing that there are lots of um, kind of kind of more regionally led approach to recruitment. Um, a lot of people as kind of around um, volunteers, um, St John's Ambulance, um, are kind of uh, people already working in the NHS, just kind of really trying to mobilise people because obviously um, these people are going to be um, trained to vaccinate. Um, kind of um, in terms of the Pfizer vaccine, kind of the assembly, I've been told, is a bit more compl it's more complicated than kind of a standard flu vaccine. Um, so there's going to need to be a lot of training, and this training is going to have to happen really very quickly. Um, you know, with all these these hubs and you know primary, not so much primary care, but it's going to be set up. Um, I wonder if anyone else has has, has heard anything around. Um, who these vaccinators are going to be and and, and perhaps how many that they're, they're going to need to be. We did um, report a few weeks back that um, uh, number of sort of 30, 40,000 people involved nationally. This was sort of pretty very rough estimates from like uh, central estimates, shall we say, but you know, and, and that may include people are already going to be working on this in primary care but but yeah massive uh, massive uh, effort to get staff in the right place I do think I mean I think you know maybe you could talk about this Annabelle but it, it does sound like there is actually the signs are that people are pretty enthusiastic and volunteers from uh, returners or beyond with volunteering within the NHS volunteering people who used mm -hmm. to work in the NHS or outside the NHS there's quite a lot of keenness to do that but yeah huge um huge workforce questions and it sort of adds that to the list of like things that are actually going to really make a difference in this campaign you know workforce communications that we've already talked about Absolutely. data and technology um and some other logistics that we haven't that we maybe talk about that um rather than actually who gets it in the first few days or, or weeks it's those kind of big questions Absolutely. that might make a difference isn't it so many different moving parts yeah and i think as jack said kind of the original kind of excitement obviously it's fantastic news but for it to work there a lot of thing other things need to align too um and just before we close today i just wanted to touch on one last thing um and it might not take long but just kind of the potential role of the private sector um in this vaccine have we heard anything around whether this vaccine could be offered privately anytime soon or is this something that is going to be solely nhs um Vaccine. I think that the government has said that there's no plan to, to to give any of it to to be available privately initially, but I don't know the details of how long how they can stop that or how long they can stop it for. But certainly, it seems to be. I think they'll be pretty dead set on until it becomes very widely available. Anyway, I think they'll be dead set on keeping it to being an NHS principle, and certainly the NHS will be very keen on that, seeing as it's it's taken such a central role in the delivery. I, I think that the, the key limiting factor beyond policymakers not wanting the um, uh, to be to, to, to give their opponents a stick to beat them with is going to be the rate at which it can be manufactured and what organisations are at the front of the queue to buy stocks as they come off the production line and it is all of the governments of the world. So I don't think unless there was a really conscious policy decision to hive off some of the UK government stock to the private sector to administer as, as like an extra means of administering it. Um, we'd see that until, as Dave says, until it's moved into more of a steady drumbeat. I mean, yesterday the prospect was raised that this could become like another seasonal flu vaccine. We, we, we're not yet sure about where, mm -hmm. where, where this is going to lead to in, um, in a year's time, let's say. So, you know, what, hypothetically, one could imagine it falling into a similar sort of pattern as seasonal flu, which can be, you know, one, if you're not on the NHS list, you can buy a dose from, your, from, from, from the private sector. 
Um, uh, but I think certainly for the time being, and certainly through the, um, the next, uh, the early, the initial phase of the um, the rollout, I don't I don't imagine the private sector will get get its hands on it. But you know, I've, I've staked my colours to the mast on that one, so now I'm going to get proved yes. wrong within about five hours, as is the nature of the current news cycle. Absolutely, exactly as we said at the beginning, it's so fast paced. So hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, there hasn't been another U-turn. Um, but um, Thanks, guys, for joining me. Um, it's time to draw the podcast to a close this week. Um, and to listeners, if you haven't already subscribed, please do. It will help other people find us. And if you fancy giving us a rating, that would also be great. Just a reminder, the podcast is available every week, usually on Fridays, on the hsj.co.uk website and across all main podcast channels. Do get in touch with any comments about the discussion today or something you think we should absolutely be talking about. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.